Hi, I'm Stephen Webb, host of Touring Heaven, your tour guide and traveling companion. And I'd like to invite you to come with me on a tour of heaven. Remember when we were on the island of Crete in the Temple of Truth? I mentioned that Hilarion had spent years training with Jesus in the Arabian retreat. That's where we're going now in our etheric bodies to visit another devotee of Jesus, the Ascended Lady Master Nada, who teaches students like us at the Arabian retreat. Each of these masters we're visiting are specialists at teaching us about a certain ray or aspect of the Holy Spirit. Now, while Jesus is a world teacher and teaches all aspects in any of the retreats, his personal specialization is the sixth ray, which could be described as ministration and service. Nada follows in Jesus' footsteps, and it's his path that she teaches. We'll get in some basics in this introductory tour, but in the future, get ready for some really interesting and serious instruction and testing because service on the sixth ray is accomplished through the God-mastery of the emotions and the quieting of inordinate desire. Gautama Buddha famously described the cause of all suffering as inordinate desire. Pause for a moment and think about what that might look like as you approach choices in your day. If you recognize something as inordinate, how do you wrestle with the internal debate? How does the debate proceed when you think you want it, need it, or deserve it? That's what we're about to find out, at least on an introductory level. Just before our blue escort angels arrived to take us to class at the Arabian retreat, I wanted to go back for a moment over Gautama's point, which is also Jesus and Nada's. If you listen to your conscience when it identifies something you're contemplating as inordinate desire and you back away from it, That's actually enlightened self-interest, because you're removing the cause of future suffering. Your conscience is quick, and it doesn't take time to explain the immediate or lengthy karmic return of inordinate investments. All energy investment decisions come back to you, the sender, sooner or later. You don't have to suffer unnecessarily now or in the future. You have control by choice to preempt suffering. And that's one of the many things that Nada teaches. Then, of course, you have the right to ask her, what is ordinate desire? All right, here are our escort angels now. Hold on tight, and we're up and on our way to Arabia, while our conscious mind, emotional body, and our physical body sleep through the night. And at the speed of thought, we're high over the sandy desert of wilderness Arabia, but at the etheric level. We take in the view of uninhabited desert as we spiral in and touch down on a broad, sandy plateau. It's daytime here, and hot and dry, even in the etheric octave. There's the door in the sand dunes opening now, large enough to drive a car through, and very welcoming as we walk down the ramp into cool, fragrant air and warmly lit walls, decorated here and there with flower baskets. Flower baskets under the desert. Having been here before, we're not quite so stunned at the concept of entering a paradise hundreds of feet under the Arabian desert, but still, it is actually pretty amazing. And even more amazing, this is where Jesus teaches, 
Though being busier than ever, he could be at any one of the master's retreats around the planet right now. A lady master, one of Nada's holy sisters, greets us and invites us into the elevator. Within seconds, we're down around 400 feet beneath the surface. But it feels so welcoming and grand to be back here that we take our time as the elevator doors open to step out and gaze up at the self-luminous 300-foot-high Grecian columns all around the interior of the retreat. Our tour master smiles at our comments about Greek architects and reminds us that those architects, such as Serapis Bay and Paul the Venetian, were originally residents of etheric Venus. Among Sanat Kamara's volunteers and in their later Greek physical lives were simply remembering the Venusian temples they used to serve in. Even Atlantean temples were derived from Venusian designs. Noting our awe at this tremendous atmosphere and ancient grandeur, our host suggests we walk all the way around the center of the retreat, while she offers us some background on our teacher, Lady Master Nada. We walk slowly as she explains that Nada has great attainment in many divine attributes, but focuses her service as a teacher and mentor for those in our world who are ministers and missionaries in all religions teachers and healers of all kinds, psychologists, counselors at law, and public servants, all who are involved in serving the needs of others. In other words, Nada's attainment means she is multidisciplinary and an expert in the holiness of ministry, cosmic law, healing, and science, understood and practiced through love. As we stroll on marble and mosaic floors, mostly looking up into the light radiating from the ceiling 300 feet above us, our host adds that Nada's teacher, thousands of years ago during the Atlantean civilization, was a feminine archangel. Archangels have something in common with us in that they were created by God as twin flames, male and female as we were. The masculine archangel of God's third ray of love is Chamuel. The feminine archangel, or Archia, of the third ray is Charity. Charity was Nada's unseen etheric teacher when Nada had a physical body like us. To attract the mentoring of an archangel, Nada must have passed a lot of tests on her path over hundreds of embodiments. It's possible we knew her in some of those lives. But she ascended and is an immortal, and we're still working on it. Our host continues to describe Nada's background as we pause near a golden light fountain. She says long after the fall of the Atlantean civilization, Nada had excelled in the path of love and lived during historical times. She was taught and tested by the Archaea Charity to prove her mastery in that path, especially in her final lives. In what became her last physical embodiment about 700 BC, Nada was born as the youngest child in a large family of exceptionally gifted children. Charity's tutoring helped Nada to master the balanced expansion of love emanating from the spiritual threefold flame behind her physical heart. The real-life application of this practiced gift was a consistent radiation of love to her talented brothers and sisters. The constant radiation of love quickened the spiritual faculties in her already capable siblings so that they excelled in their respective careers. Now to do this, Nada chose to forgo her own career in that life. 
and instead kept the flame of love radiating in deep meditation and prayer for her brothers and sisters. To Nada, it wasn't a sacrifice as we might see it, but it was her perpetual bliss of seeing God expand in our world through the good works of her family. To her, that was joy. And then our tour master adds, It's interesting to note the humility of the masters. Nada's name means nothing. It's a momentum of the saints, a self-effacement for a purpose, that the lesser self be sealed and the greater self appear. The mortal self disintegrates and the true self is manifest. Once mortal, now immortal, Catherine of Siena saw her Christ self represented by the Christ in Jesus in this way. Thou the all, I the nothing. We left the light fountain some time ago, contemplating this wonder that we can choose the same awareness of our own Christ self. Thou the all, I the nothing. And now we've gone around the entire center of the Arabian retreat to a wide, golden-carpeted hallway leading to classrooms. We're invited into a small, warmly-lit auditorium, and as soon as we're all inside, our tour host gathers us together and says, I am honored to introduce you now to the Ascended Lady Master, Nada. Nada enters the auditorium modestly and looks around at us. She is very beautiful, gracious, and her bearing is one of moral authority, purity, and kindness. And yet, before saying anything, she bows gently to the Christ in us, taking a moment to look again. It's an exhilarating feeling, wondering what she sees that she would linger in contemplation. We know who we are as ordinary persons in our world, but part of us wonders if we could be her future colleagues in heaven, or more realistically, if we have an original divine purpose we haven't yet fulfilled. Seconds pass, and she doesn't give anything away about what she's seeing. I can tell you, the masters don't offer praise or flattery to anyone. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have a gap between potential and actual accomplishment. Nada asks us to be seated in comfortable chairs and conversationally begins to draw parallels between herself and us. She asks us to imagine being elderly and looking back on a long life objectively. What is the real value of a lifetime? She asks. What? is the difference between a defensive assessment of the accomplishments of a lifetime and the way God sees your lifetime. And then she tells us about how she viewed her own physical final lifetime, about 700 BC, as if we might make a comparable assessment with our own life. I can assure you that at the conclusion of my incarnation, when I saw the victory of each one of my brothers and sisters, the fullness of my joy was in a heart of love expanded. It seemed to the world and perhaps even to my own that I had not accomplished much. But I took my leave into the higher octaves, thoroughly understanding the meaning of the mastery of the pink flame. And thus it was from the point of the third ray of love that I entered into the heart of Christ and saw the application on the sixth ray as ministration and service. The Master continues her point of how her example of a selfless life lived 2,700 years ago is worth our thoughtful consideration now. 
It does not matter what, your training and what your position. It's not in what you do with your hands. It's in what you do with your heart that counts. For as I spent several of my last incarnations in keeping the flame of life anonymously for my family and other members of the community, so I am able to tell you firsthand what it means to God, what it means to souls evolving on earth, to have someone, that silent, peaceful someone, in the midst of activity, silently declaring the law of truth, the law of perfection, the law of victory, on behalf of each one who was so busy serving, so busy trying to do good for humanity, that he does not have time to make the application for himself. I would suggest then, if you are looking for a more than ordinary challenge, that you go into your communities with this thought in mind, of being a keeper of the flame, of adoring the flame of life in the hearts of hundreds and thousands. If you have professional training or have the ability to acquire that training, then we suggest you take on greater responsibilities where you can be directly involved in decision-making, in drafting legislation, in organizing, whether it's in men's groups, women's groups, or community groups, working for a cause that is constructive. How often we see, in these levels of government and community planning, if there were just one of our keepers of the flame in the midst, how smoothly the process would flow, and how encouraged people would be, how their faith would be restored in this representative form of government, which is indeed after the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and patterned after that which is to come in the Golden Age societies that are to be born upon this earth. The Master pauses and seems to be reading the impact of her last words on our awareness. It's a momentous statement. It's in two parts. One, make your place of responsibility in government or community count. And two, Golden Age societies will appear on this earth. What is a Golden Age society? When will this happen? And where? How will it happen? And is this what God wants earth to become? These are fair questions, given our knowledge of the state of unhappiness on earth, which has been the norm since before recorded history. And then Nada smiles and bows to us, as if we've finally caught up with the realization that somehow we have a role to play in a process that will answer our own questions. It's as if we've passed some kind of test. Apparently pleased with us, Nada asks us to rise, and at her gesture, we follow her out into the carpeted hallway. She explains as we walk that she has something quite interesting to show us. We look up toward the bright light at the end of the hallway, and without any further notice seem to be surging forward through a great tunnel. And a moment later, we're thousands of feet up in the air spiraling down out of a clear blue sky toward a forest stretching to the horizon. Angels glide next to us, and then at a lower altitude, in a clearing in the forest, we see the shape of a giant pink rose radiating light. We can't take our eyes off it. As we land softly walking now on springy lawn in golden sunlight under a cloudless sky, we gather on a flagstone pathway in a garden with forest around us, but we can't tell where on earth we are. 
To our right, we looked down from a grassy hill, through tall trees to a beautiful small harbor. The water is a clear aquamarine. The other shore, not far away, is forested with stretches of sandy beach and flowering shrubs along the waterline. We turn away from the harbor, wondering, where are we? But the question is forgotten as we look ahead. What appeared from the sky to be a giant rose is actually a heavenly retreat, unlike anything we could imagine. We've just come from the Grand Arabian Retreat, 400 feet under the hot desert wilderness of Arabia, where we were looking up at bright, 300-foot-high Greek or Venusian columns, and now we're above ground and aren't quite sure what we're looking at. Nada is with us as our host, and with a smile and a wave, leads us forward along the flagstone pathway. We're in a garden in paradise, evidently looking at Nada's own retreat. From a quarter of a mile away, the retreat does look like an enormous rose, a multi-story mansion built in the curving arcs of a pink rose. There's not one Greek column or even a straight line to be seen. The pink petals of the rose suggest the great rooms are layered around each other and together form a large circular retreat. And the feeling in the air, like Quan Yin's retreat near Beijing, is one of deep peace, comfort and beauty, even before we get close to the mansion. But where are we? As we walk, Nada explains that we're in the etheric octave of Earth, near what we would know in our world as the busy fishing port of New Bedford. New Bedford in southeastern Massachusetts in the United States. The straight-line jump from Arabia to the U.S. takes some getting used to. But then, we remember Gautama Buddha has straight lines of travel from the original Shambhala in Mongolia to the western Shambhala in Montana, and then another straight line to Jesus' Arabian retreat. In our world, imagine the customs procedures, the plane changes, the airports, jet lag, the passports, the currency exchange and language differences, not to mention the culture gap we'd experience in journeys like these. Here, in heaven, it's all one divine culture, with none of those impediments to travel. This is why we come to heaven in our etheric bodies, so we can decide if we want to import the pure and holy standards of heaven into our world you'd understand why it would never work the other way around. We're met on the pathway and then in the foyer of the retreat by Nada's brothers and sisters of the third ray. The third ray of God's Holy Spirit is for the radiant healing of Earth's people by love, and not surprisingly has the vibration of the color pink. And as we stroll through the foyer of the retreat, some of us are speechless at the canopy of comfort all around us while some wonder about the focus of the Arabian retreat being ministration and service, Jesus' very active mission in our world, while the focus here in the Rose Temple is more contemplative, as love and comfort. How does Nada step so easily from one focus to the other? Nada brings us together, and without saying a word, leads us through the arcs of the halls, past meeting rooms and classrooms to the very center of the retreat. We pause as the great doors to the flame room are opened. There, at a safe distance, is the large, bright flame of divine love, a steady pink radiance emanating in all directions, through and beyond the retreat. All are speechless now. A number of sisters and brothers are praying near the flame. Others are singing softly. 
At a word and a gesture from Nada, we take seats in the small amphitheater as close as we can bear to the flame. Then, all is silent. A focus on the rays of the flame coming toward us pulls our attention in toward the dazzling center, so it seems we're enveloped in peace. The total absence of the background noise of looking backward over past concerns is a relief. Internal surcease from sorting old news leads to a place beyond ourself. We're aware of the whole expanding universe as a beautiful complexity with a simple feeling of joy. This is ours, and we can go wherever we want and enjoy all that we've made. In this single perspective of creation, there's no competition or sense of separate compartments because it's all one expanding plan. And it really is beautiful as it grows at the speed of thought. Outside the awareness of space and time as we measure these in our world, there's a peace that we don't want to leave. But Nada, apparently knowing we yet have work to finish in our world, softly asks us to rise and accompany her. Moments later, we leave the flame room through a different set of doors, then along a carpeted hallway to a balcony overlooking the harbor and down a set of stairs to a large garden. As we explore the garden, we notice dozens of meditation nooks and fountains secluded by lattices of climbing roses. There are many different kinds of fragrant roses and fruit trees here, a network of flagstone paths and arched bridges over crystal-clear ponds. It's as if Claude Monet had studied here 150 years ago and in his waking state remembered just a fraction of the beauty of this garden when he built his own in Giverny. Our eyes turn to Nada as we get the feeling she has something important to say. And so we come closer and find seating on garden walls and benches around her. The master looks around at us as we settle. Then she carefully chooses and lifts toward her an almost open rosebud, growing within a rose bush rich with mature pink blooms. And then she begins to speak. Isn't it marvelous, beloved ones, that freedom can come to mankind as naturally as the unfolding of the petals of a pink rose? The soul is very delicate, yet at the same time it possesses great resiliency, the hardness of the diamond, right within the cells of its fragrant petals. By the diamond-shining virtue of heavenly reality, man clearly perceives at last that he holds within the chalice of his own being all the wonder, perfection, and love that is in the universe. Nada tilts the rosebud at a different angle in the sunlight so we can see into the center of the petals unfolding. The emergence from chrysalis can take place right where he is. He does not need to wander hither and thither on the surface of the earth seeking Christ, albeit there are important things he can do to carry the light to all humanity. The Christ is within him and requires development only in the sense that the Christ consciousness, the consciousness that was in Christ Jesus, must remold and remake the human consciousness until it no longer resembles its former self, 
For old things are truly passed away, and all things are become new. The master then leans forward with a gentle smile. The spiritual garnering of holy wisdom from the heart of God requires the mind of a little child. All of the sophistication of the world that has unfortunately become a part of the learning process has been a trick, and a very bad one at that, played upon mankind by the serpentine mind. God is not devious, beloved hearts. He is as clear as a bell, pouring forth the notes of the magic flute of spiritual comprehension. Truly man is a divine alchemist, rightfully compounding the facets of his life into a wondrous whole, as God ordained. Truly each man must bear his own burden, yet there are so many in misunderstanding who would say, Another bore it for me. Let them understand the real meaning of Savior, as relating first to God and then to the Beloved Son, whose radiance universally enfolds everyone. Then at last, by consecration and effort, the mantle of Venus falls upon the heart in contrite majesty, as man finally realizes that he was made in the divine image. Nada raises the unfolding bud and then points to the mature blooms. Truly as a rose unfolding fair wafts a fragrance on the air, you can pour forth devotion to God everywhere, one with the cosmic ocean. In all whom you meet, the spark lives. And when in you it lives to give more of itself, life illustriously expands its golden age consciousness of the immortal rose that the soul of God is. Then the master, referring to the bud and the blooms, asks us to remember the image of the rose as ourselves unfolding, selflessly extending the God-given fragrance to those we encounter. The simplicity of the request is easy for us to accept now, but she reminds us that conveying that image to our busy daytime self will need to wait for the right moments. And she says the next time we visit, the lessons will be deeper and yet founded on the same principle. This is the eternal, God-given design appearing by grace. When combined with our own consecration to the Christ in us, our effort in serving others becomes majesty for those who would see God in our world. The Master rises and extends her hands. I give you my love, for all else I have already given away. Nada looks up as our angels appear above us, descending through the shafts of sunlight between the trees. For a moment the thought occurs that we would rather not have to leave this paradise by the harbour. Could we stay a little longer? The Master's voice comes to our minds simply as, Next time. And then we're up and away on the arm of our blue angel and on our way home to our sleeping body and another day at work in the morning. Will we remember any of this consciously? Probably not. Not yet. But there is an image that may come to mind now and then that might make us pause and reflect. Why does that rose look so beautiful? I just want to sit quietly for a while and be with it. Thank you for being here with me in the Rose Temple, touring paradise, on this introductory visit with Nada. 
And there's one more idea. I'd like to ask you to hum this little round with me on our way back home. From thy fragrant center light to thy You can read about the Ascended Lady Master Nada and all of the Masters and the retreats we visit in our reference book, The Masters and Their Retreats, which you can browse and buy if you want on AscendedMastersSpiritualRetreats.com. Our next tour will be, as promised, to visit St. Germain, who has a long, a very long and ongoing brotherhood with Jesus throughout the New and Old Testaments and long before. Our visit will take us again to Wyoming in the United States, close by the Royal Teton Retreat, to one particular mountain known in our world as Table Mountain. Inside the mountain is St. Germain's Retreat on multiple levels, called the Cave of Symbols. In there are sacred, ancient symbols and focuses of great light that have a gentle but profound and ongoing effect on our civilization. These radiances are God-directed, gradually exchanging the global weight of unhappiness for the abundance and freedom of our inheritance, the rose of the Christ consciousness appearing in you. The point of our visit will be to realize how important our free will is in determining the pace of this gradual exchange of old for new in our world. Always victory.